0: Father, again, we are so thankful for this time to come before you and to worship you and to praise you and to declare your excellencies, to exalt your Son who gave himself for us. We are so thankful for the forgiveness of sins that came through your Son, Jesus. And Father, we're thankful that because of Christ, uh, we've received your Spirit and now have the ability to understand your Word and the power to do your will as you lead us. And and so I pray as we look into your word today that you would open our hearts and minds to understand the scriptures that we would be taught and from uh, your word we would be by your power changed. And so we thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a world that is very divided. Um, I mentioned this last week. There are national divisions, there are racial divisions there are divisions between the sexes there are divisions between social status and wealth there are as you watch tv these days there are political divisions right Um, we live in a fallen world that is divided now in the body of christ that shouldn't be that way in the church there shouldn't be these divisions there should be unity in the church And when I'm speaking of unity, I'm not speaking of unity based on compromise, but unity based on the Spirit of God and uh, the person of Jesus Christ working through us. But the reality is we do sin, we do fail, and we do have difficulties, we do have conflicts, and we do have disunity at times. And yet the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says that it's God's goal for us to attain the unity of the faith, to and to the knowledge of the Son of God. That's God's desire for us. And so God wants us to have unity within the body of Christ. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue our look. We began last week at how can we have or maintain unity in the church. We're going to see that it is simply because of the mind of Christ manifest in true believers Turn with us to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses two to, two, to, 2 to 4, I mean excuse me, 3 to 4. Now we looked at 1 and 2 last week and it really keeps going on through past uh, up to verse 8, but uh, we're just going to look at these verses today. Now in the book of Philippians I've shared this before, but Paul is writing to believers in Philippi. They are saints, they are saints not because of their actions, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. And he is writing to them in prison. He is under house arrest in Rome, chained to a, to a guard 24-7. And this is one of the four prison epistles, epistles that he writes. Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon. And it is most likely had have, have been written around 62 A.D., ten years after uh, Paul and Silas had, had gone and preached the gospel and, and the Philippian church was founded in Acts 16, as we say. Now in this letter we see that Paul was encouraged, and I hope we were encouraged, that, and he was caused to rejoice and pray for these Philippians because of God's past work in them. It was evident they were true believers and God was working in them. And he was also confident that God would complete the work that he began. And then he prayed for them. He prayed that their love in Christ would abound. Not just a mushy-gushy love, but a a love in real knowledge and discernment. That they would be able to choose the things, the right things that would magnify Christ. And then the apostle Paul shared his circumstances that although he was in prison, the gospel was not imprisoned. And although he might be on his deathbed, uh, having to go before Caesar, that he might die, that his, his focus was that Christ would be magnified. And he made it clear that to live is Christ, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But for him to stay around was so much, so much more important that he would serve, as we'll see the Philippians. Now, within this, we also saw that the Apostle Paul began to address the Philippians' circumstances. And he described them very, very, very clearly uh, that uh, they were, in the context of the opposition that they were facing, they were to be standing firm in the truth, standing firm in the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not being alarmed by their opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them and salvation for the Philippians. And they were to stand in one spirit. They were to stand together in unity. And then moving into chapter 2, we begin to see how this unity is truly brought about. And that's what we looked at. So I'm going to read through uh, 1 through 5, but we're only going to look at verses 3 and 4 today. And I'll briefly review 1 and 2 because it's very important. But if you want to see more of that, you can look at what we preached on last week. Uh, Verse 1, if there is there... If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then our passage, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we'll, we'll look at that, uh, next, next week. And so, with this in mind, how do we maintain unity in the church? First of all, we need to be motivated by the basis for true unity. And then we need to see the defining marks of unity. Then we need to see what it looks like in real time and understand if we are truly walking in this way or not. Now, you'll remember we saw last week, first of all, we are to be motivated to unity based on the truths that permeate those who truly know Jesus Christ. If you've come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, these truths are true about you. And they should motivate you to then, as we will see, be of the same mind. Now you might remember in verse 1, these if statements we saw last week. It's in a Greek uh, form that is if and yes, this is true. It's a first class condition. So you could almost say some translations will translate since. And that's a good translation also. But here he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ and the implication in the Greek is yes, there is. If there is any consolation of love, yes, there is. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, yes, there is. If there is any affection and compassion, yes, there is. And then the implied then statement. If these things are true, and they are, then here's what you should do. Then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now we know the Apostle Paul is the one speaking here, inspired by the Spirit. And he is saying, fulfill my joy by, by doing something Help me to overjoy, be overjoyed in Christ. And this book is about joy. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. And joy comes from a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And joy comes from seeing others walking in him rightly. And Paul says, make my joy complete, or Fulfill my joy. And how so? We saw this last time. By being of the same mind. By being like-minded. And this is to believers. It's all about thinking. It's all about the same-mindedness. And then he gives four specific reasons that should motivate us to this like-minded. If these things are true about you and they are believers, then be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. Now, I'm not going to go through in depth like we did last week, but I need to review these uh, portions. We see the first one. If there is any encouragement in christ this term can be translated exhortation it comes from the word paraclete or paraclesis, calling alongside someone to help if there is any encouragement in christ if there is any exhortation in christ and we know the truth is for believers there is that every true believer has been encouraged or exhorted and thus encouraged in christ Every true believer, the Spirit of God has used the Word of God to speak to our hearts, to come alongside and encourage us in our relationship with Him and our walk on this earth. If there is any encouragement in Christ, and yes, there is, yes, there is, then we should be of the same mind. And we saw the second one. If there is any a consolation of love, and that term consolation carried the sense of persuasion, If there is any consoling love that persuades, then be of the same mind. And we know the reality that God is so gracious that he sent his only son to die for us. He gave him for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See how great a love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, wretched sinners, wicked, in our sin, but yet God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we were in the wretched sin, Christ died for us. If there is any persuasive consolation of his love, and there is. You see, Paul said the love of Christ controls us. That one died, he says, died for all. We have uh, the, the persuasion of Christ's love. When we realize that he gave himself for us, I'm a wretch and he still went to the cross and paid for my sins, that persuades me to want to obey him, to want to worship him, to want to love him. You see, if there is any consolation of love or persuasive love, the love of Christ that controls us, the Apostle Paul would say, then make my joy complete by being of the same life. This is true. And then he goes on. He goes on another the one. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, we know for believers that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Spirit as a pledge. He comes to indwell us forever. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit then gives us a, that then enables us to fellowship together in a way that no one can fellowship. It is it is fellowship based on the Spirit of God within the body of Christ. It is a oneness that we share based on the indwelling Spirit. By His Spirit, we can also know together the things freely given by Him. Those are His his words we see in Scripture. First Corinthians 2, verse 12. We know that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through His Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And just the plain fact that true believers have been given the Spirit of God, that we have this in common. We share the tremendous payment and pledge of our glorification, down payment and pledge. We share the very person of the Spirit of God. This oneness is a powerful motivation to like-mindedness. And I mentioned this last week. You know, when you're walking in the spirit, you're walking with the Lord, you're not in sin, and you meet someone else who's not in sin and walks. Through, you there's you can meet someone across the other side of the world, and there is a unity when they're true believers, you know, right away. There's a unity as you talk with them, and you share, there is a fellowship of the spirit. And he says, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, and there is, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And then he gives the last basis and motivation for. Uh, for, for having like-mindedness. If there is any, affection and compassion. And there is. That's, that's what it is. Now this term affection speaks of the bowels, the inner portion of a person. It used to speak of the heart or a tender heartedness or an affection. The word compassion is the word that speaks of compassionate mercy. It speaks of a display of concern for another's misfortune. It's sympathy. And these two words put together are translated at times a heart of compassion or a tender heartedness. And he says if there is this tender heartedness, the context in Christ, then be of the same mind. We have all experienced his gracious, compassionate mercy that he looked upon us and unworthy and was compassionate upon us. He was merciful to us. In Luke chapter 1, we have this uh, quote from uh, Zacharias concerning John the Baptist, but then moving towards the Savior in which John the Baptist would point to. It says in Luke 176, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by their forgiveness of sins, of their sins. Because of, and here's our words together, because of the tender mercy of our God, uh, which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. If you have experienced this tender mercy of Christ in being saved, you've experienced that gracious, then, then, make my joy complete, being like-minded, being like-minded. And so we have these exhortations, these common things. If you experience exhortation in Christ, a tender, persuasive, consoling love from the Father, fellowship in the Spirit, and this tender mercies that God has brought forth in Christ, this should motivate us to obey the Word of God. Now, there's some of you here today who have never experienced those things because you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, and God is so gracious... He says if you're hungry or you're thirsty for salvation, come and, and purchase it without cost. You can have it for free if you realize you need that. And he will then uh, pour out his grace and his mercy upon you. You will be forgiven of your sins if you trust in Jesus Christ. So then, to have unity in the church, the first thing we need to understand is the basis for unity. It is those things that we share in Jesus Christ that are, that are common to true believers common true believers and then we saw last week uh, what was the defining mark of unity what did it look like again our passage if there is any encouragement in christ if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of the spirit any affection compassion and the implied then make my joy complete by being of the same mind now the command here, make my joy complete, moves towards and, and impresses on also this by being of the same mind. You could say literally be the same way. Be, think the same thing. Be of the same mind. This term being minded here is, comes from the Greek uh, verb phroneo, which means to think. That's what it means. That's what it means. And that's why it's translated mind. Have the same thoughts or attitudes. It means to think. To think. Paul is saying that his joy will be fulfilled when they are same-minded, when they think the same thing. And you say, well, wait a second. You know, how is it that we who think so differently and are so different can think the same way? How is it that we can have the same thoughts? Well, the answer we'll look at more in depth next week, but it comes from verse 5. Have this attitude. Same word translated mind earlier. Have this thinking in yourselves which was also in christ jesus we are to have the mind of christ functioning in us we're to be thinking like christ you say well how can i think like the the son of god how can i think like god i'm a i'm a mortal that's been saved by his grace we'll turn to first corinthians chapter two and we have the answer how we can think like the lord how we can think Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, in the first three chapters, is addressing the pride of the Corinthians. They are prideful, and they are saying, Hey, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this, I'm of this teacher, I'm of that pastor. You know, and they're elevating men, and Paul has to show them that men are nothing, and that no one should boast unless he boasts in the Lord men are nothing you should never elevate your teachers now you need to respect them and honor them those who come alongside you in christ but never elevate them god is the one that does his work through those people and paul has to bring them back down to reality that that if anyone thinks he is something as he would tell the galatians he is nothing now in first corinthians 2 he says here and when i came to you brethren i did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of god i didn't come with a super slick packaged message proclaiming to you the word of god we see that a lot these days in churches don't we for i determined to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling he was dependent on the lord right And he says here, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And I wish every seminary would teach this to every pastor. It's about God's power through his word changing our lives. It's not the presentation that is brought forth. And notice he says yet in verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom. He says, among those who are mature or complete, that's believers, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard. These are things that no man has ever heard or seen. He says here, he says here, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, that's believers, God has revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to, 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 freely given to us by God. We receive the Spirit of God so that we can understand those hidden things that God has now revealed in His Word. And he says here, Uh, Which things we also speak, see Paul brought forth the word, not in words taught with human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, that's a non-believer, does not accept the things of the spirit of God, that's speaking of the word of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We don't have his full thinking, but we have what God wants us to know. We have the very thoughts of God revealed in the Word of God, we have God's Word to us. We have the mind of Christ. We can understand how he thinks, and we can think the same way by allowing his word to change our minds. That's how we can think the same way. And we are to renew our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't think the way you used to think, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you would prove what God's will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It is the Word of God that helps us to think like Christ. It is the Word of God working in the mind of a true believer that has the Spirit of God, who so they can understand it, that helps us to think the same way. We're not robots. We're not the same people. We're different people in Christ, but yet we can think the same way when it comes to the things that God has revealed. That is what we are to be doing, and thus we are to be setting our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, Colossians chapter 3. We are to have the word of God dwelling richly in our hearts. We're thinking about what God says about our circumstances, what God says about our actions and reactions to the things that happen to us, what God says about himself, what God says about how we are to function. In every situation, for we have been given everything pertaining to life And Godliness through the true knowledge of him You see We have the spirit of God We have uh, The tremendous relationship with Christ That now enables us to Understand the truth of God And so then with these Tremendous wonderful things that have happened to us It should motivate us to Be of the same Mind So Paul that's the command be of the same mind And we're going to see what this looks like Later on today We're going to see what being of the same mind looks like in practical realities. You see, because I could say I'm in the same mind all day long, but it may not truly be the case as evidenced by my behavior. And so we're going to see specifically where the rubber meets the road. What does it look like to have the mind of Christ, have the word of God functioning in you in relationship to other people? And we're going to see that. We're going to see today how it looks in relationship to one another. Then we're going to see how it looks in relationship to God by the example of Christ in verses 5 through 8. We're going to see what that mind of Christ looks like. So with that in mind, we have the defining mark of true unity, which is being of the same mind, being of the same mind. And so what does this unity look like? Now, at this point, the Apostle Paul goes to explain, in a sense, what it looks like and he 's going to give five explanations four, uh, four participles and one adjective and i can 't believe me saying that I was the horrible I was horrible in English, but yet God has me sharing that right? Four participles and one uh, adjective, all describing being same minded be same minded this 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 this, and this it 's all describing that you see, and last time we looked at the first three of those, and we 'll briefly. Review those and then get to the last two where I believe reveals exactly what it looks like around one another. So then, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, yes, there is, then make my joy complete in being of the same mind. And And now some exclamations. Here's the first one. We saw it last week. Maintaining the same love. Or literally, having the same love. What does that mean? It's talking about biblical love, obviously, but having the same love. You see, to be like-minded, we need to love the same things. We need to love the same things. You see, if we are like-minded, we're going to love Christ. If we are like-minded, we're going to love His truth. If we are like-minded, we're going to love the things of Christ. We're going to love the church. I'm not talking about the this the entity i'm talking about the people we're going to love his people he says having or holding the same love you see god's love is that which is given to us we love because he first loved us we have a change of demeanor when christ comes into our lives by the spirit of god which enables us to think about others now which we never truly did unless it benefited us and you see now we can think about others as more important than ourselves maintain the same love we saw that last week. That's the first evidence of same-mindedness. Am I loving the same things? Am I loving the same things? Christ, his word, his people. Am I loving righteousness and holiness? Am I hating sin in my life? Do I hate those things? Do I love Christ and what he has done for me? Forgiveness. And then the second mark, and you can go back last week. We went much more into that. But the second mark, which we're in review, we see that it is in being in full agreement being in full agreement man there's not been much things people agree on these days is there right but here being in full agreement and then we saw that this term spoke of basically our souls the, the word was soon suitcase suitcase the soul souls together a unity of agreement There's a unity of agreement in the things, obviously, in which God has revealed in his word concerning everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are to be in full agreement, and without being in full agreement, there is no same-mindedness. And then the third one we saw, intent on one purpose. Well, and actually, the, the other portion I, I, said, I said maintains the love united in spirit. I mention that. Being in full agreement is really the portion united in spirit. Okay? It speaks of really being in full agreement. Being of one soul. The term spirit should be translated soul, really, there. But now the next one we see says, um, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit. That's being in full agreement. Intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose. This is interesting. This is an adjective now here that modifies it, and, and this, or it modifies the word thinking. It's basically saying thinking the one thing. Thinking the one thing. That's what it's, spe- that's what it's saying. It's translated intent and one purpose. But it's freneo, thinking the one thing. It is a singular focus of thought that believers should have. The scriptures are very clear what we've been saved from and what we're being saved unto. We should be together, pressing on forward towards the goal. We should be focusing on Christ. We should be thinking the things of Christ, thinking the one thing, have unity of thought together. We know the Lord Jesus, as he was talking to Martha, as Mary was sitting at his feet listening to his teaching, Martha was distracted by her preparations. And he said, Mary has chosen the good thing and he said there's a few things but only one is really important only one is really needed and that was focusing on christ being taught by his word growing in him a real relationship with jesus setting your mind on the things above the things of christ thinking the one thing thinking the one thing and so we have the mindset of unity now what does that look like in reality I can have all the theological understanding of this, okay, I'm same-minded, okay, maintaining the same love, uh, united in spirit or intent in one purpose, uh, thinking the one thing, okay, I got all that, but what does this look like in a practical reality? And that's what our passage as we finish today is about. Look at verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's where the rubber meets the road for the believer who is truly uh, desiring to follow Christ, truly yielded to him. This is what it's going to look like when your mind is, is consumed with the truth of God and the God of the truth, and you're applying those truths to every situation in your life, it's changing your mind rather than the way you thought before you know Jesus. You're not leaning on your own understanding, but in every way acknowledging him. This is what it looks like. And so we have this implied command, and it's, it's actually a participle. It doesn't go stand on its own. Or it, it, and maybe it's an adjective, but it doesn't stand on its own here. Doesn't stand, no, it's actually in the context of being same-minded, do this. Being same-minded. And so what are we to do? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now there's really no verb, and this is the one with the adjective. You could literally say it this way. Um, nothing, or actually uh, not self-seeking at all. No, nothing from this nothing at all Uh, the 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 verb is not there there should be not one thing from this not one thing in your life from this not one thing in your life from what selfishness or empty conceit so it's literally not one from this now this word selfishness is an interesting word we kind of know what selfishness is right we're human beings we're selfish by our old nature aren't we we know what selfishness is, but here, this word's an interesting word. The Greek word is arethea, and it speaks of uh, basically a laborer or a hireling. And the word came to speak of one who, who went out for their own gain without respect to others. They just did things for themselves without respect to anyone else. That is selfishness. When you do anything and it is only in respect to yourself, okay? It also spoke of one who did, who, 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 uh, who basically, in, in the culture, it spoke of politicians who would do anything to advance their political careers. It's, it's selfishness. And it's also translated in other places, disputes or, or selfish ambition, because this selfishness always ends up in disputes, by the way, disputes or selfish ambition, Turn to Romans chapter 2. We see that this word is a descriptor for those who do not know the Lord. It is the way we were before we were saved. And we can also still be that way too, can't we? Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Not one thing from selfishness, right? Not one thing in your life. Not one thing, brothers and sisters. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath at the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Hey, these were Jews who thought they were, they're fine, but they hadn't had the redeemed hearts. They hadn't been saved. He says, who will render according to every man, every, render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are, here's our word, selfishly ambitious. That's our word. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of men who does evil, men who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. It is the default state of those who are not in Christ to do everything for your own self. That is selfish ambition, to not regard others. And then when you do regard others as a non-believer, it's just to make sure it doesn't affect you in a sense. Usually that's what it is. It's selfish ambition. And our passage says, not one thing from selfish ambition. Not one thing in your life, believer. That's what like-mindedness looks like. You see, when I'm doing things for myself, I am not like-minded with you. That doesn't mean we don't do things we're going to see in a moment. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for those of others. It doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves, but we are thinking about our actions in light of how it affects everyone around us. And later on, we'll see how it affects the Lord in terms of obedience. He says here, not one thing. It's actually listed in Galatians 5.20 as one of the deeds of the flesh. It's translated disputes. New King James translates it, I think better, selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions. The word obviously carries the sense of selfishness that leads to arguments. Arguments, right? Earlier in chapter 1, verse 17 of Philippians, Paul describes the motives of those who tried to harm him by preaching Christ. It was with the word selfishly ambitious. Now, I think James gives us a really clear picture of what this stuff looks like. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 13. Now, there were those in the context here. He's speaking to Jewish believers, but there were fakers among with them. And he says here to them, you know, those who thought they were the wise guys, smart guys. He says, okay, who among you, James 3.13, is wise in understanding? Who's wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, by his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. That's God's wisdom, by the way. But if you have bitter jealousy and, here's our word, selfish ambition in your heart, he says, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth don't pretend to be following the lord when you are this way don't be you're lying against the truth he says this wisdom is that which comes is not that which comes from above but is earthly natural and demonic the way you're functioning is earthly natural and demonic for where jealousy and what selfish ambition exist. There is disorder and every evil thing. This is the default state of non-believers. And we as believers should do nothing according to that. Yet we're tempted every day, right? We're going to see we should allow Christ to control our thoughts. When we choose what we do, it's not simply just for ourselves. It is in the context of serving Christ and considering those around us as more important than ourselves. So here, he says, we are not to do one thing, not one thing, literally, not one from selfish ambition, not one. Nothing is to be motivated by that, for it is guaranteed there will be disunity in every evil thing if it is. It's guaranteed. The believer is not to function this way. We must, through confession, submission to the Lord by his strength, say no to selfish ambition to this wickedness, this wickedness. Folks, and for believers, sin sneaks in so cleverly at times. We may not be outwardly doing things, but there are things that may be right, but our motives are wrong. Is there any area in your life that you are doing anything for your own agenda apart from yielding to Christ and thinking of others? Is there any area? Maybe it's doing good deeds, but from the wrong motives, whatever it might be. Keeping up your house so that you'll elevate yourself in front of others, not simply just to clean it for for others' benefit. Maybe it's uh, raising your kids in such a way to elevate them in front of other people rather than just doing the right thing. Maybe it's uh, working hard or whatever it might be at work so that others will see you rather than doing your work heartily unto the Lord, unto the Lord. Maybe you're serving here in such a way that you want people to see you or see what you've done rather than serving the Lord uh, for his reward. You see, nothing is to be from selfish ambition. It's earthly, natural, and demonic. It's the natural way, and it encompasses the flesh and the unregenerate man and woman. Selfish ambition is the opposite of biblical love. It is the opposite of considering others as more important than myself. So we're to do nothing from that. We're to be thinking, and we go through our decisions each day. As the Word of God works in our hearts, we need to think about these decisions in light of that. Is it simply my will, or is it the Lord's will? Is it the Lord's will in how I function around one another? Nothing, nothing from selfishness. Nothing from selfishness. Well, there's also the second word here. Notice it. Nothing from selfishness or do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Empty conceit. Well, what's that? Canodoxa, which means vain or empty glory. Vain or empty glory. It speaks of an elevation of oneself where there's no real basis in God's eyes, basically. It's an elevation of yourself when really there's no basis in light of who God is. It speaks of glory that is empty. It is an improper estimation of self. And bottom line, it is pride. Do nothing to bring glory to yourself. Because it's empty. It's for empty glory. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 6. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Everything that we are able to do, God has enabled us to do, and we ought to give thanks. Thanks. Every breath we take is because God has given us life. Every day we have is because of the Lord. Being able to preach or teach, that's because of the Lord completely. Being able to raise your kids, that's because of the Lord. Being able to work, that's because of the Lord. Everything is from God. Now, he gives those talents and skills, but they are from him, and we are to thank him and give him glory and not elevate ourselves. It is vain elevation. Nothing we do should be motivated by empty conceit or vain glory nothing nothing one-mindedness has nothing to do with selfishness or vain self-elevation we will not think the same thing if this is what we're doing and folks we are tempted in different ways as believers and these verses should come to mind allow them to control your thinking and say no to those things and say yes to the lord in those areas is there anything in your life that you think you are something is there any area of your life that you don't give God the glory ultimately and credit for? Maybe you think you're pretty good at your job, pretty good parent, pretty good kid. Maybe you're a pretty good preacher, a good servant. Maybe you're a good musician. Well, I hate to break it to you and to myself. Apart from God, nothing is good. But yet, God does good things through us when we submit to Him and He uses them for His glory, and we are blessed as He uses us. We are blessed. So nothing from selfishness or empty glory. You see, true unity can't exist when we are doing it this way, when we are selfishly ambitious or or vainly elevating ourselves. We need to say no by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to deny ourselves. We need to trust Christ because he's faithful and he's good and he'll get the glory. We'll notice also, in contrast to this, we should be doing something. Don't do this, but do this. Look back in verse 3. But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. We have the contrast. Instead of being selfish, we are to, as we'll see, with humility of mind, let each of you, that's all the body of Christ, regard one another as more important than himself. The term humility of mind means low-mindedness, low-thinking in a sense. Paul is not speaking of false humility where I lower myself when I am such a wretch. No, I really see myself where I really am. God is God and I am his creation. And everything I have is from him. With humility of mind, a low view, not a high view of self, but a lower view. Not a false view, but a real view of self. You see, with this humility of mind in contrast to elevating myself through selfish ambition and vainglory, in contrast to that, with humility of mind, I am to then regard one another as more important than self. The term regard means to, to make a decision after considering or thinking about something. So I need to think about this. It's not just going to happen. I need to think about it. In God's eyes, you are more important than me therefore i'm going to obey him in regards to you because you are more important you see and so i'm to think of you as more important than myself that can only happen if you've come to faith in jesus christ i'll tell you right now if you're sitting here and you're going I, i can't do that maybe you don't know christ because i couldn't do it before i didn't know christ i thought of me myself and i as the most important thing and i thought i was a christian It's only when Christ changes your life, he gives you a different attitude towards those around you. And, you know, you can't tell people to do this. I try to encourage people to be aware of people around, you know, be concerned about what's going on in their lives, to think about them. Only Christ can do that from the inside. There should be a thinking of each person. Wow, I'm thinking about them. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about them. He says here, but with humility of mind, let each one consider one another as more important than himself. You see, this is exemplified, as we will see, by the obedience of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, just a little down. Have this attitude or mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we're going to see next week, Lord willing, we humble ourselves by obeying God in relationship to one another. Because when I don't obey God, I am elevating myself. When I obey him in relationship to you, I'm humbling myself. He says here, but with humility of mind, each of you regard one another as more important than himself. One pastor writes, true humility is not putting ourselves down, but rather seeing others as more important. If we concentrate on seeing them that way, putting ourselves down will take care of itself. We see others as more important than ourselves. We see us more important. You see, God has a problem with pride. God has a problem with pride, and that's the root of all our sin, by the way. And when we're yielded to Christ, we're going to have unity when we are not prideful. When we are humble before the Lord and thus others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore urge you, the prisoner of the Lord, to entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Colossians 3:12, and so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility. I need to lower myself to where I really am in my mind and stop elevating my view of myself and my desires and my things with humility of mind, humility of mind. You see, again, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see in, uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, clothe yourselves. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So back in our passage here, do nothing from selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. We're commanded to do that. That's a command. That's when our minds are going to be, that's when we're going to have unity. When we're thinking this way, we're going to have unity. We're going to have unity. We're going to have disunity when I'm selfish. We're going to have disunity when you are selfish. We have unity when we're regarding Christ as the most important and thus his people, and thus his people. Now, this term more important is this Greek word, "hooper echo. It means to hold above, surpassing or extreme. To hold way above. It's used later on to speak of the surpassing uh, value of knowing Christ. It's used later on to speak of the, the peace which surpasses all comprehension. We are to hold others way above ourselves way above within a lowness of mind a proper recognition of oneself we are to think of others as surpass, as surpassing ourselves hold them above ourselves and this is what christ did being god in human flesh he saw us as way more important than himself and he died for our sins we're going to see that And when you see others as more important than yourself, you're going to obey the Lord because the Lord's word points me to love you and to do what's best for you, you see? Now some of you might realize, wow. And this is for each one of you, by the way. It's for the whole church. Now some of you might realize, hey, I'm I'm maybe not doing so well here, and I really do believe I'm a believer. We need to come before the Lord and confess. We need to confess. Turn to James chapter 4. We have a, a picture here of what we need to do if, our, if we've been functioning the wrong way. If you've been doing this, you've been, and you, you know it, you're going, wow, and I, it's showing you my relationship. I've got conflict in every relationship I'm in. It's not conflict for doing what's right. It's conflict for being self-focused, by the way. My life, my issues, my whatever it is. Do nothing from that. Don't let anything in your life be motivated by that. If it will, there's going to be trouble everywhere i guarantee it there's disputes all around you if that's the case unless people are just being so quiet that they don't want to deal with you okay well how do we respond if we realize we've been doing this james chapter 4 verse 6 but he gives a greater grace therefore it says god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble you're going to have to humble yourself and admit you're wrong You have to humble yourself. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. That's speaking in a a way. Stop doing what you're doing, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. There should be a a heartness, brokenness over your sin. And weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will will exalt you humble yourself through repenting my attitudes have been completely wrong my attitudes towards this person this person this situation wrong absolutely wrong humble yourself and he'll exalt you confess your sin so with that in mind we see this and now we're going to see what this mindset looks kind of in, in action in terms of how we're thinking as we're going through the process of wanting to think of others as more important what do i do how do i think Look back in chapter 2, verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here in verse 4, we see what true humility looks like in relationship to men. And as I shared in verses 5 through 8, we'll see what true humility in relationship to God looks like as we obey him and submit ourselves. He says, do not merely look out for your personal interests. This term, look out, in Greek, skopeo, it means to keep a watchful eye. You know, if you're watching something, you're thinking about it, right? You know, if if you've got some crime around your house and you've got some suspicious characters out there, you're probably keeping a watchful eye outside, right? You're scoping out the situation. Keep a watchful eye to carefully watch out. We are to be continually and actively noticing carefully, keeping a watchful eye for the interests of others. And that's what I encourage people in church. Go say hi when people come in. Think about them. Have a watchful eye, not in a legalistic way, but from a heart that is changed. Keep a watchful eye. Think about others. Scope out, not merely your own interests. Yes, you you have things you got to do that God may be doing in your life. Absolutely. But don't merely do that. Don't merely do that. But keep a continual, active, watchful eye towards the interests of others. Instead of selfishness and empty conceit, keep a watchful eye for the interests of others. Instead of looking out for yourself, watch out for those believers, one another around you. That's what we're going to see. And you can't do that if you're not around, you know. Uh, I guarantee if you're not showing up here and you don't care, you know, in some, in some situations, say well are sick, whatever it might be, okay, there's certain things. You know, but if you generally aren't around for Bible studies, whatever, you're not around church, generally, uh, the Bible says he who separates himself seeks his own desire. You're being selfishly ambitious because you don't care about everyone here whom you are not seeing because you're not here. You see? We are to keep a watchful eye, and I can't do that unless I'm around you. Now we have texts, we have phones, we can hear what's going on in people's lives. I'm keeping a watchful eye, and how I can see them is more important. I'm keeping a watchful eye as I'm around one another. Hebrews chapter 10 has two options, basically. Turn there for a second as we finish up. Hebrews chapter 10. It has two options here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And now we don't come to church out of guilt. We come to church out of a changed heart that wants to serve Christ and has a love that was never there before for the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to what? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Think about how to encourage one another to love one another. To do good to one another. That should be on our minds. That's considering others as more important than ourselves. Think about that. And then he says, not forsaking our own assembling. That's selfishness. I don't come around church. He says, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing mirror. We should be encouraging one another to do these things. We should be functioning. same-mindedness. You're more important than me. Same-mindedness. You're more important than me, so I'm going to study hard in the Lord. You're more important than me. I'm going to spend the time doing what God has called me to do. You're more important. I'm going to do those things in relationship to to you. You're more important. But you know what? If we don't think this way, we're actually walking in sin, and it may be an evidence that I don't know the Lord. As I, if I forsake fellowship here, he says in verse 28, for if we continue, if we go on sinning, the implication is we're not around. We're not considering others. For loving good deeds, we're not doing it. He says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Titus chapter 3 verse 14, and let our people learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. If I'm not thinking of you, I don't know what your needs are, by the way so that they may not be unuseful, that they may not be unfruitful, excuse me. So when the believer is submitted to Christ, allowing his word to dwell richly in the heart, we're going to be looking out for and scoping concerning the interests of others, not merely our own. Yes, we have things we have to do. God understands that, but we are not merely thinking of ourselves, our own personal interests, but for the personal interests of others. Let me ask you this. Are you walking in humility of mind, or are you self-seeking? I began talking about division and disunity and all those things. The inevitable reality is if you're walking selfishly, you're going to have strife all around you, or you're not going to have anyone around you, maybe. The reality is uh, if we're walking with humility of mind, a changed heart, we're going to be seeing others as more important than ourselves. I pray that you let this word permeate your heart as you think about each other, as you think about each one throughout the day, throughout each week, as we serve the Lord here together. These are commands for how we can have unity in the body of Christ, and unity comes from a Christ mindset of seeing one another as more important than ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. We need it so desperately. We are so tempted to be selfish every minute of the day. And Lord, I pray for the true believers here that your word would work mightily in in, in our hearts. That we would obey these commands to not merely look out for our own personal interests, but to see others as more important than ourselves. Lord, help us. Use your word to change us so that you would be greatly glorified. And we give you all the praise.